know we're part of a network of churches, a transformation network, Riverstone, which is um, on the corner of Barrett Parkway and Stilesboro Road, Stonebridge Vintage, which is on Cedarcrest Road, Awakening in Woodstock, River City in downtown Smyrna, and Sojourn, which meets on Roswell Road in East Cobb. Uh, all of us are committed to church planting. This morning we have a great uh, privilege and opportunity. Peter Oswalt and his wife, Masha, are our next church planters. Uh, they'll be pressing onward in September, they hope, uh, to the Kennesaw State areas where they're looking to plant. That's right. And so he's coming to share with us. And I want you having a couple of things in mind. One, he has something to share with us. And so I want you to receive from him. Second, I'm hoping to see 12 to 20 people from our church go and help Peter and Masha launch Arise. That's the name of their church. Uh, that may not even be on your radar screen right now, but my hope is within 30 minutes, it is, for 12 uh, to 20 of you. And also, I believe there are probably one or two of you who have a calling to, to planting churches. And my hope is, as Peter is sharing, even though that's not necessarily what he's talking about, that hearing him will stir something in you. And if that's you, and again, that may not be on your radar screen right now, but if over the course of the next half hour or so, that's something that God begins to stir in your heart. I want you to come and grab me and so we could talk about what that looks like. We want to be a church that uh, that plants churches in multiple ways. We want to help Peter and Masha launch and we want to see people from this church launch out uh, as well. So, Peter, if you'd come on, I'm going to pray for you and then you can take it away. Well, we do thank you for Peter and we thank you for Masha. We thank you for your calling on their life. We thank you for your for their faithfulness to you particularly over these last several years, just the way that they've um, integrated themselves fully uh, into Riverstone and have given there, and that when you said it's time, they've stepped out. And so, God, my prayer for them uh, over this course of this summer as they're forming their core team um, is that your grace would be upon them, that you would truly begin to build the body that will be a rise church. And I do pray in this room that you would call men and women and that you would call families to connect with them. Maybe it doesn't even make sense geographically, but God, in their heart, there would be a stirring. People who've never even seen him before, God, I pray this morning you would connect his heart to their heart and they would find themselves saying yes. And God, I do want to pray for any church planters that are in our midst, that as they hear from someone who is stepping out in faith and saying, all right, here I am, send me, that you would increase their courage and their boldness, their willingness to say yes as well. And so, God, I pray that we would all open our hearts now to what you want to say to us through Peter. And we pray your blessings upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we going on fine? Are we on? Yes, are we live? Should I move this up? All right. Technically challenged. So there we go. Are we, li- are we live? We good? Wow. Thank you guys so much. Um, we have loved Stonebridge from afar. Um, we've loved uh, David and Kim and Bo and many of, I see many familiar faces. Um, but, um, it's amazing to, this is the first time we've been in a service with you all, and we can tell we're family, because we are. You know, you get around, it's like you try somebody, and they have the same family recipe, and you're like, oh, you got that from Aunt Margaret. And uh, man, um, just everything that David said, and that the worship was about, if I had scripted it for what I want to share today, I couldn't have scripted it better. Um Really, the topic is hope. Um, As David kind of alluded to, 
Hope is not, wow, I sure hope something happens. I hope we all don't die. Hope is the eager expectation of good based upon who is the giver of every good thing and the fact that he loves us and that he has amazing things for us. My challenge for each of us today, we're going to dive into the story of Gideon, is find yourself somewhere in this story. Each of us is on a journey out of slavery, out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of brokenness into wholeness, out of hopelessness into hope and destiny. And many of us... uh, We'll find we've, uh, we've taken, uh, we stopped off at way stations along the way. But that doesn't disqualify us from the things that have been promised to us. And um, as we were pray, praising, just, man, I, I kept going, man, I, I, maybe I could get them to put slides up from the, the lyrics. Because I was like, yeah, that, that, you know. Um, there's a hope that is arising. And I want you to know something about hope. Hope actually is scary. You know Why? Because it actually encourages you to believe for things that are impossible. And if that doesn't scare you, you should probably get your head examined. You know, it it, it causes you to dream for things that are way beyond your ability and your capacity today because of who God wants to make you. But beyond that, because God wants to show up in your life and to fulfill and fill up what is lacking. So let's just take a moment. I, I, I need prayer for me. You can pray for me. Jesus, we thank you because you're the author of hope. You're the author and finisher of our salvation. We have hope because you are the hope in us. The hope of glory. So Lord, we trust you. We trust you to speak to us today. We trust you to illuminate to us in the scriptures where we're at. And where you're taking us to. We're trusting you to hold us when we're afraid. And to give us courage to step out. We love you, Daddy. Thank you. In your beautiful name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhones, uh, turn to Judges 6. That's the sixth book of the Bible, so it should be easy to remember. And one of the things that I love Scripture... And so I love to let Scripture speak for itself, and we encounter God in it. We don't have an encounter with information. We have an encounter with the author of the book. And so as you're listening, I want you to listen for God. I have something we say. If at any point my voice distracts you from hearing God, you have permission to leave. I won't be offended. Uh, We want, our heart is that you hear God clearly. In, in the scriptures today. So I'm going to read through a series of passages. And, but to set the stage, um, many of you know, the Israelites were, although they were children of promise, they had been promised the, the promised land of Canaan through their great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God raised up Moses and he delivered them out of bondage. But do you know there's a big difference between being delivered from bondage and being brought into your destiny? And they left Egypt and they should have spent 40 days getting from Egypt into the promised land, but it took them 40 years because they needed to become heirs of the promise, not slaves 
who've gotten free. And so in the process of the desert, they learned to trust God. And Joshua led them in and they took the land. But there was a couple things they were supposed to do. They were supposed to kick out everybody in the land. Because the people who lived in that land were involved in horrific, horrific practices that were abusing the innocent, the weak, and the powerless. For the sake of, of, of uh, sensitive ears, I'm not going to go into what those were. Just suffice it to say, some of the most horrific things that get done in our news today were common practices in the worship of their gods. And God was delivering that, those people. But he was bringing them, but he told them, he says, don't intermarry with them and don't leave any cities in your midst. But the Israelites weren't very, they didn't fulfill that. They, in fact, allowed, they intermarried with the, uh, the Canaanites. They, uh, they also allowed some of the cities to last. And you need to understand, Canaan was not a backwater at that time. Canaan was the most powerful region on earth at that time. At that time, the, the empires of Egypt and Mesopotamia were in a lull. And in the midst, these, these merchant states of Canaan became the most rich, powerful, uh, militarily powerful, and advanced civilizations of the area. And so when God offered them a promised land, he said to a bunch of guys with sticks, go take out the guys with, with M1 tanks. He called them to do something that was far beyond their ability. But in trusting God, they rose up and they took the land. But what happened in that midst is they forgot their mission and they settled for less than what God had for them. And what happened is over time, they became slaves in the land of promise. They became enslaved to the very gods of prosperity that the people in that land worshipped. And they began to pay the same price that those people paid for their gods. In immorality, in fear, and in torment. And the result was that um, over time, they would finally come to their senses and they'd cry out to God and they go, Oh God, we've forgotten you. It's really bad. Help us out. And God would send a judge who'd drive out the enemy. And as long as that judge was alive, they kind of remembered God and then they forgot again. And we've gone through this cycle four or five times. And we're in another one of those cycles right now when we join Gideon. So starting with verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with all their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out for help. It only took them seven years to figure out, I don't really like this. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, you're, you find, I don't really like where I've ended up. I'm not sure this was God's plan for my life. The interesting thing is oftentimes we blame God for where we've ended up. Not only me. Only me. Yeah. And uh, um, what's happened is uh, Israel only has um, a little area of fertile land. There's fertile land on the ocean 
and the Philistines had that. There was a fertile valley through the middle called the Valley of Jezreel, and then there was the Jordan Valley. And what happened is these marauders, think like Vikings, would come in, and they would, and the Israelites were driven up into the mountains. If you look at Israel today, it looks just like dead earth. That was what they were left with. And I don't know about you, but I look oftentimes, um, for instance, in the marketplace, um, the difference between a Christian businessman and a businessman is simply that one is moral and one isn't. And what happens is um, uh, oftentimes being moral doesn't help you get ahead in business. The wolves win. But we're not called to be simply moral. We're, sent, we're called to be messengers of a different kingdom. To bring a truly supernatural encounter to the world, whatever area we're in, business. And so what happens is, when we're simply natural, we find ourselves in the world, and we find that we're the least of these things. Everybody else is getting ahead, and we're being left behind. Because we're just, we're, we're moral, but there's more that God has for us. And so the Israelites find themselves starving up in the mountains. But then they, they came to their senses and they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. Verse 7. The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians, from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a big, I told you so. Um, (laughs) That wasn't what they were asking for, was it? But God didn't stop there. He moved on, because he was sending deliverance. He was sending breakthrough for them. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. You don't have to be a genius to figure out you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Um, a wine press is a big hole in the ground, and he was down there to hide. He was hoping to hide because he was trying to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to this uh, afraid guy and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. God does not speak to us in our circumstances. He speaks to us in our identity. We always start with our problem and try to get God to solve it. God starts with our identity and realizes automatically our problem will be solved when we step into who we really are. But the problem is God stands over here on identity and he oftentimes won't talk to us about our problem. Because he knows we're impressed with our problem. In fact, the word they use for worshiping the gods of the Amorites is fear the gods of the Amorites. Do you fear your problem? Do you fear the circumstances in your life? If you fear them more than you fear God, you worship those things and you can't see God. And if you can't see God, you can't see who you really are in his eyes. And so the first thing God does is he challenges him, lay down your problem and embrace who I say you are. Let's see how Gideon did. I don't know about you, but Gideon always, in my mind, was a wuss. Am I the only one who thought that? I always thought, man, what is wrong with this guy? I have bad news. The longer I read Gideon, the more impressed I am with him. And the less impressed I am with some of my own reactions. He said, sir... Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? And didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You know what the worst punishment God can give someone? To let them have their way. God handed them not over to the Midianites, but over to their own desires. And, but you notice Gideon is not getting the message. He's missing the message about identity. And, but you know what? God is gracious. And God responds, the Lord turned to him and answered his question in great detail. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Whoa, 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 God, you did not answer my question. Where have you been? Why am I suffering? What's all of this going on? God's not going to talk about it. Why? Because he knows it's a distraction from understanding the real causes, the real root. But the more bigger question, the destiny that he has for them. And so Gideon has another choice. Get over himself and into what God has for him. Get over his offense or step back. And you know what? Gideon did a lot better than I have often done. But Lord, verse 15, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You know what? The amazing thing is, Gideon had a huge problem. He was part of a much bigger problem. The whole country of Israel was suffering, and he was complaining, and God said, Gideon, you're my solution. Do you know the issue that most ticks you off in society, in your world, in your family, in your classroom, in your business, might be the very thing that you have a calling to confront and to establish godly victory in. Instead of complaining, God calls us up to have vision and destiny. And, and, and so Gideon starts to actually wrestle with this. He goes, God, that's a really great idea, and it speaks to my identity. I agree. I, this makes me mad. This shouldn't be this way. We should not be being beaten up like this. Our family should be thriving. Oh, but i got to tell you, God, there's a few facts you should know about my situation. I'm the least. And you know, the funny thing is, God doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't say, well, you're right, Gideon, but you know, Gideon, you've got a few fine points about you. Wow, I, I would have voted for you for at least most likely not to fail. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The defining factor of six, verse of, that defines whether we succeed or fail is not our ability, but God's ability. And are partnering with him. He said, you want to know? You plus God makes you a majority in any situation. And that's exactly what he's saying. He said, you want to know the difference that takes you from being the least? I'm not going to argue with you, Gideon. You're a wuss. I'm not going to argue with you, Gideon. You have no skills. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. And if I'm calling you to this, I am with you, and I am the power that will see this, and the result will be hundreds of thousands will fall before you like one man. And Gideon replied, and you watch, Gideon's growing. Every time, God's offending him. He's not answering his questions, but inviting him up. And what does he do? Gideon, he leaps over the hurdle of offense. And he says, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. Here's the deal. God has no problem with us asking to prove. When he speaks something crazy, he doesn't expect us to take a leap off of a cliff. 
He does call us to a step beyond our comfort zone. And so what he's calling him to, he's giving him an opportunity. And you know what? Gideon doesn't go, well, if you're really God, um, let me see, let me see, let me see. Oh, I know. Make a million dollars show up in my hand. What Gideon says is, God, I'm going to put you to the test with a test that costs me a lot. How do I know? They were in the middle of a famine as a result of these Midianites. And what does he give? He gives an offering of a whole goat, feed a family, and a basket of flour. I mean, that, this is, I mean, he gave, you know, he gave sacrificially in order to trust, to be able to prove that this really was God. Let me tell you, if you're going to test God, make sure it's something that costs you. Gideon hurried home and he cooked that goat and, and he brought it back to the angel. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord said, place the meat and unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. And the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread and the tip of the staff and the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. By the way, when they brought offerings at that time, they gave a slight, tiny bit for the Lord and they ate the rest. <laughs> Gideon was un- probably unhappy at this point. <laughs> Um, I'm going to have to tell my wife I took a of this month's, oh, wow, bread money. It's going to be awkward. You know what? Again, he had an opportunity to get over a barrier of offense, to be able to trust God. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, what? Was he an idiot? What did he think he was talking to this whole time? Do you know that when we encounter God, oftentimes it's quiet. But God lures us into the open, into an experience that's beyond, that isn't quiet. And I don't know about you, but I, when I feel like I hear God speaking, that's really sweet. When I realize for certain it's God, oh my. Everything changes. And Gideon says, I realized it was the angel of the Lord. He cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said, oh, it's all right. Don't be afraid. You'll not die. I love that. Uh, and Gideon built the altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom which means the Lord is our peace. He will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on him. Peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of God. Shalom means the abundance and the presence of every good thing in your life. It doesn't mean you don't have conflict. In fact, if you follow God, God will invite you into conflict to bring peace. And uh, that's exactly what happens. The very next thing, I'm going to jump ahead. The very next thing God says, it says the angel disappeared and the Lord said, do not be afraid, you will not die. He was talking to an angel, the angel disappeared and God's now speaking to him. How do you think God spoke to him? I put it to you, he's speaking the same way he speaks to you and me with a still small voice. God gave Gideon an encounter with God where he could recognize God's voice so that then, in life, he could recognize God's voice when he spoke within. The main, if you're waiting for God to speak audibly, you'll probably wait a long time. But I promise you, God is speaking all the time, and he's more concerned with your identity and your destiny than you are. And he wants to encourage us, but he's going to be speaking quietly. And so Gideon, and the very first thing he hears, the still small voice of the Lord is, okay, go in, if you're going to take out the Midianites, go home and destroy the altar of Baal and the altar of Asherah, the two gods of prosperity in his household, in his father's house. And so, being a man of bravery, he gathered up his servants, and in the dead of night, when no one was looking, 
He was obedient unto the Lord. You know what? God will take obedience any way he can get it sometimes. He's okay. And God's like, all right, that's my boy. Why did he not go out and beat the Midianites first? Because you know what? God realized the issue wasn't the Midianites. The issue was the Israelites' hearts. It was the issue was who they were worshiping. And God is always interested in delivering us from the things that enslave us within. And that will deliver us from the slavery externally. And anyway, so that works out really well for him. Everything's good. Except the next morning, guess what happens? People find out what he did. And uh, expecting everyone to applaud him and excited, they wanted to kill him. But I thought you, this was, he just dedicated an altar to the God of peace. You know what? Following God won't make you liked. I have bad news for you. It doesn't mean everything turns out really well in the short term. What it does mean is you go from glory to glory. You experience the abundance and the presence of God in your life. And what happens is Gideon steps into this place with the, um, and, uh, his, it ends up his family defends him. Amazingly. His family, who thought he was the least, suddenly began to rightly recognize him. This is amazing. I'm just going to keep jumping ahead because I've taken too much time already. But what I want to say is, what happens next is, Gideon, Gideon's like, all right, I think I'm getting this thing. And it says, um, it said, verse 34, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, the tribes around, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you're really going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. Wait, 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 you now have an army. Why are you worried? Have you ever had that where in the moment uh, God inspires you and you're like, ah! and then you go, oh my gosh, what have I said? What am I doing? No, no. God will inspire you and call you out beyond your ability. And he suddenly realizes he's beyond his ability. But you know what happened? As he steps into his destiny, guess what happens? Those around him get to step into theirs. We're in community. When you begin to move in who you're called to be, everyone around you is positively affected to begin to move in theirs. And so he jumps into that. He follows, you know, all these people gather. But you know what? It's okay to have fear and doubt. The key is take your fear and doubt to God. And he does. And he goes, okay, God, don't be angry with me. Let's try this. How about if there's dew on the sheep... And dry on the ground, on the, sh- on the, not the sheep, he didn't have sheep, what is it? Sheep's cloth, what, what is that? Wool. Please, somebody knows the word. Then it's gonna be, I know it's you, God. And he wakes up the next morning and it's wet. But it's dry on the ground. And what does he do? You know what? Somebody could have poured out a bowl of water here. No, 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 no. Let me, I, I got that all wrong. Okay, God, don't be mad, try it again. God is okay with our doubts. But we have to take them to him and be willing for him to address our doubts. And what happens is, he says, but when he addresses our doubt, we're left with a choice. And he says, and so, having seen the sign of the Lord, he says, Gideon got up early, verse 1 of 7, and went as far as the the spring of Herod with his army. In other words, he started to act. It's not enough to think. It's not enough to pray. There comes a time to act. And the Lord, and, and... the amazing thing is God, God meets Gideon and God says, you know, Gideon, this is a great idea, but you've got too many warriors. He's got 33,000 or 32,000. And, uh, and so 
God gives him a strategy. He says, let ever who's timid or afraid may leave the mountains and go home. God gives him an actual strategy. If you've been in, in a fight, or not necessarily physically, but you've been in a battle, you want to be with people who are fully committed. So this actually makes sense for him to send away the guys who are going to turn tail and run in the battle anyway. Let them run early, not distract everyone. So, that, so he's okay with that. But the Lord said, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you. This is where he says, you know, divide them in two groups. One ha- is going to drink water kneeling down. The other is going to lap, you know, bring water up to their mouth. And you can see Gideon. Gideon, he doesn't tell Gideon which group is going with him. He's just watching. And he's going, okay, there's a lot more going to this side. I hope it's this side. I hope it's this side. God will often, as he's guiding us into destiny, he will give us the next step. He won't tell us the whole plan. His word is a light unto our path, not a searchlight. We have to be willing to trust him, to follow. And at the end, God says, you know those 300 over there? No, 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 no. Yeah, those are yours. God meets him. Going on, he... he and, and I love it. And so, he kept the 300. He was faithful. But we, you know what? He's afraid. Because that night, the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camel camp because I've given you victory over them. Okay, I'm sorry. If you have 300 men and there's 100,000 people camped down below, climbing down into their camp is not a good way to find encouragement. I don't know about you, but I would be very impressed with the enemy at that point. God sometimes calls us to places, strange places for encouragement. But I want you to know encouragement can't be done to you. It's an inside job. God offers encouragement, but we have to take it for ourselves. And he climbs down into the camp, and he hears, uh, moving right along, um, he, he hears a guy has had a dream about a, a big loaf of barley rolling down a hill into a tent and comes up with this amazing interpretation that that means Gideon's going to kill them all. doesn't make any sense. God will speak, but he'll speak through, he'll speak through a donkey. He'll speak through your enemy to encourage you, but we get to listen. And finally, at the end of this, he, call, he says to Gideon, he said, um, when Gideon heard the interpretation, he bowed in worship before God. This is the whole point. He was more impressed with God than he was with the enemy. He was more impressed with who God said he was than he was with the enemy. And so what he said is, he, he told his men, get up, the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Sometimes God is calling you not into a destiny by aligning you with people around you. Those 300 got for free what, what, what Gideon was pressing in for. And he gave them, and God gave him a godly strategy. I'm not going to go into it all, but let me just say it was a great strategy, but it still wouldn't have worked if God hadn't shown up. They, they rattled the pots the, they, you know, in the middle of the night. The fire, they, all of a sudden, the guys saw 300 uh, torches ringing the hills that sounded like, that made them think there were 300 small armies surrounding them. They thought the clatter was armor. And then they thought the guards who were coming back from their guard post were the actual Israelites attacking, so they attacked each other. And in a night, as they stood by and watched, God decimated their enemies. In a night, God delivered Israel. What I want to say is, I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are in your journey into destiny. I don't know if you're a slave in Egypt, and you've never met God. I don't know if you find yourself a slave in the land of promise, 
enslaved in the very gifts of God. I don't know if you find yourself, um, you've heard the call of God, but you're scared to step out. Maybe you've, you've heard, you've started to step out, and now you're terrified. I don't know where you are. Maybe he started to gather people around you. That's okay. But what I want to say to you is, God, God is speaking to you now. He's calling you the one step further in your journey. He's extending hope to you. What does hope look like for you? It's going to be different for each of us. But hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not for you to fulfill your destiny. It's for Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to, we're going to step into a time of, of, of prayer. Um, Marsha's going to lead us. Um, So just close your eyes. All right, let's close our eyes. Jesus, thank you that you promise that when Holy Spirit comes, he will lead us into all truth. So, Holy Spirit, show me where I am right now. Where am I on that journey? And just as he's showing you, if it's a picture or a thought or a word, um, just grab it. Don't analyze. If it's a picture, then ask him, what does it mean, Holy Spirit? So Jesus, in this place where I am, what are the things that are holding me in place? What are the things that are holding me stuck and and not letting me get to the next place? And I feel like for many of us, like Gideon, it's a fan's. It's the stuff that we have been praying for and hoping for just for so many years. And it just hasn't happened. And as the pastor spoke this morning and said, it's, it's this sickness of heart. It's, it's this disappointment that's so deep that it's just scary for us to trust again. It's so scary for us to start hoping again. It's so scary to start dreaming. Because this deep place in our, inside of our hearts has been disappointed. And I feel like Jesus is saying this morning, he's saying, just let it go. Just give this why, 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 why this happened? Why me, Jesus? Can you just give it to him? And just say, Jesus, I don't understand. But Jesus, I choose to trust you. And I choose to give this to you. I choose to give this area, this circumstance in my life that I have not seen breakthrough. I give this person to you. I give this circumstance to you. Whatever it is Holy Spirit is showing you, just give it to Jesus. For some of you, he might show you an an image, like a clothing or an object. 
and just look into Jesus' eyes and just say, Jesus, I just I give this to you. For some of you, um, Jesus has shown you faces and people who have played a role in your stuckness. People whose fault it is that you are in a place you are. People who have seriously hurt you and wronged you. And this, the unforgiveness and the judgment on those people is what has been holding you in this place. And I feel like Jesus is saying, just give them to me. Yeah, they don't deserve forgiveness. But you don't deserve the, the consequence of unforgiveness in your life either. So just say, Jesus, I give them a free gift that they do not deserve. I forgive them. Whoever it is, husbands, wives, children, leaders, bosses, parents. I forgive them and forgive specifically. If there is a specific thing that they spoke against you, just forgive them for that and just say, Jesus, I just renounce that lie. I renounce that lie that I'm incapable. I renounce that lie that I'm a loser. I renounce that lie that I'm stupid. I renounce that lie that I'm not good enough. I renounce the lie that I'm just, I just won't stick around, that I won't finish this. I renounce the lie that I'm not good enough. Yeah, that's a big one. And so Jesus, if those things are a lie, then what is the truth? What is the truth about me? And just grab onto the first thing that comes. And the way you know it's Jesus speaking to you, it's going to be a lot better than your self-talk. It's going to be a lot better than you could ever speak over yourself. So just receive it. Just say, I receive the truth that I'm good enough. I receive the truth that I will finish this out. That I will walk this out. That I will not quit. I receive the truth that I'm beautiful. I receive the truth that I'm loved. I receive the truth that I have a place. Just whatever those things that Holy Spirit is saying. And I feel like to some of us, it's almost like He wants to show us a picture of this gift that He has given us. A picture of how He sees us. Just ask Him to give you a picture. And last thing, just ask him, Holy Spirit, what is the next step that you want me to take into my destiny? What is this small little step? So thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us. Just ask you to seal this work that you've done today. In Jesus' name. There are going to be teams up front. And if Holy Spirit has started a deep work in you, they will help you to walk through, um, to kind of lead you to a, to a place of closure for today and just the next steps. So come on up front.